although they were certainly afraid in the process. We're called too to be soldiers of the cross. What in the world does that mean? What is our goal? What is our heart? Our heart is to be people who have a genuine love for Jesus Christ, who really want to live for Him and to follow Him, and to understand that there are people all around us who are facing isolation from God for all of time due to a heart ailment that we know is sin. And we are locked in this cosmic battle to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, and our mind, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves so that this message of hope can get out. That's the battle. That's our marching orders. That's our call. And there needs to be an understanding that is transmitted and for whatever reason God has chosen often to work through us vessels of dust. Creatures of dust. He works through our weakness for His glory. Us petty uh, soldiers. He works in His power, guys. And I want to look in John chapter 3, a familiar passage of this morning, as we look at God bringing spiritual understanding to a guy's heart in an encounter with Jesus. Look at John. I'm going to ask you to stand in God's honor as we read the first three verses. We're going to be looking a little further, but let's just do that as a reading. Now, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous sign you're doing if God were not with him. In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for making the new birth a real a reality, God, that you called us to yourself. And Lord, that we were able to experience a new life. Father, for someone here who, for whatever reason, has not experienced that, I pray that would happen today. uh, Lord, that new life might be found and enjoyed. Lord, we love you and we need you and we want to be about your business. We want to walk close. And As we look at this encounter, God, this morning, stir our hearts, God, on this Memorial Day when we think of those who have given their lives that we might have freedom We think ultimately of you who gave your life that we might be free. And uh, Lord, help us to be ambassadors of that battle that's been won and of the cross that allowed us, Lord, to have freedom from sin and life that's abundant. We love you, Lord. Guide us in our time together. In your name we pray. Amen. Loving people takes time. Connecting with people doesn't happen immediately. There has to be a bridge built. There has to be a relationship formed. And a lot of times that's tough when you're a preacher. People kind of freak out when they find out you're a preacher. I remember uh, one place we lived in Virginia. There was a place called The Bottom and I tried to get to know some of the people down there. Good folk, but couldn't hardly get them in church. I remember one guy in particular... Everybody knew he had a drinking problem. 
But I am the preacher. I came by, there was a little store down there. You'd go by and kind of see everybody. It's a little convenience store. Here he comes out the store. He sees me. His eyes get big and he's backing up because he's got a six-pack behind him. And he's walking, he's trying to lean up against a car and hide as the preacher comes up to talk to him. Man, I never let on about the six-pack, but I saw him sneaking in the car, drive off. Man, it's just hard to have an open conversation when they start out saying, here comes a preacher and he's loaded with his gun. He's coming for Bear to get me, to nail me. When we moved into a neighborhood in Quentin, you guys know I love sports and I love to play volleyball. And they had set up this volleyball net right in the middle of the subdivision we had moved into. And, you know, the guys were down there. There were a lot of guys in their late 20s, early 30s playing volleyball. And I thought, man, I love volleyball. So I went down there. We had a blast, man. We played volleyball for like three hours. And, uh, you know, had the bonding thing going on with all these guys in the neighborhood. And we're having a great... It was Saturday. And they're like, man, can you come tomorrow and play? And I'm like... Well, you know, I won't be around for part of the time tomorrow. Later in the afternoon, I can't get there early. Why not, man? Well, I just I got to work. And they're like, "Well, all right, that's cool." So anyway, we're talking and carrying on. And uh, earlier in the day, uh, my wife had met one of the one of the ladies in subdivision who was active in a, a local church there. Well, it turned out when it came time to leave, they had asked me again, oh, man, come on, play volleyball tomorrow." This one guy, he, he goes over and he gets kind of crude, says a bunch of lewd, crazy stuff. And he's strutting around. They've opened up a big keg and they've offered me some beer, which I've politely said, no, no thanks, guys. And so anyway, uh, one last time they said, man, come on, you know you can come play tomorrow. About that time, this guy's wife comes out, has this sick look on her face. Because I think she must know who I am by this time. Walks over to her husband, whispers something in his ear. Poor guy. So he's standing there. And uh, the other guy said, come on, you can come tomorrow. Another guy says, no, he can't, stupid. He's a preacher. And you know what was really sad about that? I was just starting to kind of get some inroads into these guys. We never played volleyball again. I'd go down, try to knock on the door, kind of get to know them, but... Uh, it was tough. Before the relationship was formed, it kind of got cut off. It's, it's kind of hard to be a preacher and to kind of connect. And look, I want to live a holy life. I want to be set apart, but I, I want to build that bridge somehow. I want to be connected. You know, and I believe most people, they don't have a problem with Jesus. of the people will listen to you if you love them in the right way and you take the opportunity under God's leading to talk to them about the Lord. 90% of the people are open. There's that 10% that aren't. And what's the cause of that? Well, I think one thing that's the cause is one way or another they've been burned. They've been burned in church stuff. There's crazy stuff that happens in churches. We all know it. I remember uh, one friend of mine when I was young, young preacher, I don't know what was going on in this little church, but they got to feuding and fighting, and the guy comes out in the parking lot of church, starts cussing out the preacher, going crazy, and everybody's like, what in the world is going on here? Well, it came time the next Sunday for him to pray, and there was a retired preacher in the church, and 
Uh, this preacher thought, oh no, after it was over, he said, they must have thought I, I put him up to this. He didn't know this was going to happen, but he asked this retired preacher to pray, and he came to the front and he started praying. He said, dear Lord, I know you love us, and I know that eventually you want us to come home to be with you forever in heaven. He says, there's a couple of people here right now, Lord. If you'd like to go ahead and take them home a little early, it would just be okay, Lord. And of course, my friends go. Like, oh. <laughs> It can be tough. People can have these bad relate these bad relationships with with churches and other people who like to uh, make their religion very visible. It causes pain. Uh, here's a proverb that I want to share with you. It's Proverbs eighteen nineteen. It says, "An offended brother is more unyielding than a fortified city, and disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel." Remember the old Living Bible. The end of that verse in the old Living Bible says, "His anger." shuts you out like iron bars. There are those who have been hurt, who have been wounded, um, something to deal with religion, and, and they're just closed. They won't respond. And then, but the hardest ones probably, even harder, are uh, the religious. The guys, my great-grandfather built this church. Or... I hadn't missed Sunday school in 16 years. I've been there every Sunday. Or they have this list. They have this spiritual resume that uh, they throw out there. Well, you know, when you get to heaven, it's like scales. And, you know, the good works, the bad works. Man, i got so many good works. I'm going to be just shifting right into heaven. It's going to all work out. But the Bible says clearly, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. And the next part there, it says, not by works so that no one can boast. When we get up to heaven, there's not going to be opportunity to boast about the good stuff we've done. There's not going to be an opportunity to share our list that's impressive of how we've helped other people and how we've served God and how we've loved God. It's by grace. So with this in mind, um, we all need a Savior. Our heart is to walk close with God, to find a way to be genuine, to find a way to love people, to find a way to show people that our faith is real, that it's not phony, that it's not fake, but that it's what gets me through the day, what gives me hope. And we're called to that. It's interesting today in our passage, we meet a religious guy, and he's real religious, but he's got a need in his heart that goes beyond the religion. And so he decides he needs to meet Jesus, but he does it by night. I mean, can you imagine? This guy's a big, you know, he's a big religious guy. He's not the guy that's going to come marching down to church because, quite frankly, who would think I'm not saved? Who would think I don't have it together? He comes at night in order to meet our Lord. He says that uh, he's a man of the Pharisees. His name's Nicodemus. He's a member of the Jewish ruling council. He spent his days working on details. Not just enough to, to figure out what the Word of God has to say, but they want to fill in the minute details. For example, we know that in the Ten Commandments, it says you shall keep the Sabbath holy. But he was part of this group that wanted to find what that meant. And so in their religious writings, there were 24 chapters given to what it meant not to work on the Sabbath day, to 
keep it holy. They wanted to make sure that you knew in detail what you couldn't do because it was going to be work. Uh, I remember one of those happened to be you couldn't look in a mirror on the Sabbath because you might happen to see a gray hair and pluck it. And that'd be work. So there were these 24 chapters. This was the world he came from where he spent his days, he spent his hours thinking about what does it mean to be holy and writing down in detail what you're supposed to do and what you're not supposed to do and how you're supposed to be religious and obey God and follow Him. It was work based by works was his hope. But something was missing. Something wasn't right in Nick's life. I'll call him Nick for short, Nicodemus. Nick at night, by the way. Don't that sound familiar? Nick at night comes in there. He comes to Jesus because although he's doing all this religious stuff to earn God's favor, something's missing. He shows up at night to see the Lord. And he says, Rabbi, we know you're a teacher. Who's come from God? For no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. Even though he's been doing the stuff, he sees a power in Jesus he's never seen before. He sees these miracles. He sees the compassion of Jesus. He's heard the teaching. Jesus looks at him and Jesus knows our hearts. And look how he responds to him. Jesus says... In reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now when did his curiosity start? Maybe it started when he saw Jesus turn the water to wine. Maybe he was at that wedding. Maybe he saw Jesus teach. Maybe he had been present when Jesus had healed a man who had leprosy or a man with a withered hand. We don't know the exact details of when all this occurred, but at some point, point, he got the attention of Nicodemus. He got a hold of Nicodemus's heart and he realized that all this stuff I'm doing is not enough. Jesus has the answer here. I just need to hang around Jesus. I, I just need to be here with Him because there's something real in His life. There's something missing in mine that He's got and I want it and I need to find out. And so he comes to Jesus and he says, what do I do? You're the teacher. You know the answers. And he says, you must be born again. He has no idea what that means. Here's a guy who's supposed to know it all, but this is a different language to Nick. So he asks, he simply asks, how can a man be born when he's old? And he's got a few years under his belt. He knows that death is inevitable. So he's just honestly asking, you know, I can't go back into mom's womb. What are you talking about here? Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. No one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of water. And the Spirit, flesh, gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, you must be born again. He hears this explanation of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm not talking about you going back in your mother's womb. I'm talking about a different kind of birth. That involves the Spirit of God in your life. That makes you new. That makes you a a different person. A changed person who's the same but different. Who brings about this new birth. This change in you, Nick. That's what I'm talking about. And then verse 8. And I imagine as he says this. He says, the wind blows wherever it pleases. Just knowing the way the Lord works. I imagine a breeze just going by at that moment. Just whoosh. 
And so Jesus continues in the illustration. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus asked, how can this be? Jesus said, you're trying to figure out something that's beyond you, Nick. He said, what I'm talking about is the Spirit of God that you can't grasp, that you can understand. You just need to understand when it blows through, you need to be near it. And you need to let it blow into your heart and into your life and to change you. Has God breathed life into Adam? Has God breathed life into that first person? His Spirit wants to breathe life into you. Nicodemus, He wants to change you. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you whole. It's more than being born of the flesh. It's being born of the Spirit. You think this guy that's supposed to know it all, that makes these legal decisions, that studies the minute part of the law, would give some answer say, I get it, Jesus. But instead he says, how can this be? And look at Jesus' answer. I love it. He says, uh, you are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things. He says, I tell you the truth. We speak of what we know and we testify to what we've seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? Then Jesus goes on and He gives an example here. He's trying to, he's trying to take what is familiar to Nicodemus to help him grasp what's unfamiliar. And, and, and look at this example He uses. He says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in Him may have eternal life. God's people were in the desert. Poisonous snakes were causing, well, just chaos and crisis as people were being bitten by these snakes. And it was a death trap. There was this bronze serpent that was lifted up and raised. And the command was, look upon this bronze serpent and be saved from these snakes. If you... Don't run. Don't try to kill the snakes. Look. Look to what's lifted up. The bronze serpent that's lifted up and you'll be spared. You'll be saved. And Jesus is making a point here. He said, I will be lifted up. He said, the answer, the way to life is to look to Jesus. It's to look to me. To place your hope, your life by looking upon the Son of God by Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. The precious Lamb without blemish or spot. The only one who's worthy to pay for our sin. If you either believe or you don't believe, there's either a choice or there's not choice. But both are a choice. Uh, turn me to Titus 3. Once again, reminded of the fact it's not by our works, but it's by His work. Titus 3, verses... 4 and 5 and then IV it says, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal 
by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. That's His birth. Listen to how it's uh, shared in the message. Uh, It's a paraphrase that's popular these days. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back. But when God, our kind and loving Savior, God, stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it new people, washed inside and out by the Holy Spirit. Our Savior, Jesus, poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more life to come, an eternity of life. You can count on this. Man, Nicodemus is faced. He's faced with the truth of all this stuff I've been doing is not the answer. All these sacrifices I've made aren't the sacrifice that's needed. He's, he's faced with this truth. He's battling with all this. I love the way G. Campbell Morgan, a famous preacher of the past, put it. He said, in verses 2 through 3 of John 3, Jesus and Nicodemus are face to face. In verses 4 through 7, they become mind to mind. And in verses 8 and 9, it's heart to heart. Jesus has to get a hold of his heart. All of Him. For Him to find what He's looking for. That's how our God works. There's no record that at that moment, Nicodemus said, I get it, Jesus. I'm following you. You're the Son of God. You're the Messiah. There's no record that immediately He just bows down and changed. But Jesus got a hold of His heart. And we're not told the details but he would never be the same. Matter of fact, uh, turn me over to John chapter 7. He's struggling with this Jesus. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And he's moving closer. By the time we get to John chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 45, We see how God's been working on Nick's heart. Finally, the temple guards went back to the chief priests and Pharisees who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? No one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards declared. You mean he deceived you also? The Pharisees retorted, Has any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No, but this mob that knows nothing of the law There is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier, and who was one of their own number, asked, Does our law condemn anyone without first hearing him to find out what he is doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. Can you imagine the courage it must have taken for Nick? He's, he's there with all of his peers, all the other Pharisees, all the guys that had plotted to kill Jesus, that wanted to take Jesus out. But he says, what are you guys doing? Why are you condemning him? And that took courage. Why? Wow, what's going on? He's genuinely searching for the truth. 
He hasn't made a clean cut yet. He's still hanging out with his Pharisees who are opposed to Jesus. But God's working in his heart. God's revealing to him the truth. He's going through this change where his heart will be open and will be ready for that change to occur. Now, um, turn with me to John chapter 19. As we go through the gospel, we don't have a record of the journey of Nicodemus. God was working in Nick's life. He was learning about Jesus. He was watching Jesus. He was thinking about Jesus. He was praying. He was trying to get it. But it took a while. And by the time we get to John chapter 19, he's gotten it. We don't read about that moment that the new birth occurred in Nick's life. But obviously it did. And As we come to John chapter 19, we read finally where he sold out. Verse 38 of John 19. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. The place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid, because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was empty... They laid Jesus there. Nicodemus couldn't stay away. Here was the body of Jesus. He wanted to be part of that burial. He wanted to be part of that respects. And I believe that God had gotten a hold of his heart. He had changed him. I think he had finally come to a place where it was just too much to continue this life of duplicity. And even though there's this point of secrecy, I believe he's coming to a point where it's ready to come out of the closet. We've heard that term misused so much, I want to use it in a good way. It comes out of the closet for Jesus. To want to be that public person for Jesus. To want to live for Jesus. To want others to know that he loves Jesus. To want others to know that he doesn't have a phony, fake faith but one that's real and that's genuine. And that he's tired of trying to do all this list of stuff that's going to earn favor with God, but that he wants God's favor through a sacrifice that Jesus gave of himself. This work that happened in his life, and uh, it's a call for us. We are locked in a battle. Those of us who have experienced the new birth because there are people around us everywhere that haven't. Now how in the world are they going to find this new birth? God doesn't have to have me or you. He's done fine before we came on the scene. He'll do fine when we're not on the scene. But He wants to. There are people all around you and me that need to discover some hope. That need to see that there 
is something worth living for and dying for, which is Jesus. And so they need to look for examples of that. And that's where you and I come in. Are you in the closet? Jesus has come out. Don't be a Sunday morning Christian. Or even Sunday night, Wednesday night. May your faith radiate wherever you are. Be all there. For Christ. That, that, that's the call, guys. That's the challenge. So that when the test comes, uh, it won't be a big deal. You're already living that way. April 15th for all of us has a certain connotation. Scary day that comes around for uh, for us. But there was one April 15th where fear was evident. Not because of something that was due, but because of something that would occur. It was April 15th, 1912. No one would ever guess that on a ship that was supposed to be invincible, that doom was around the corner. Matter of fact, two guys, John Jack Phillips and Harold Bride, were in a small room in the ship and their job was to take the outgoing messages of the passengers and to get those out to loved ones. But there was such a backlog and they were so busy that they had no idea that there was a problem on the ship. About midnight, the captain, E.J. Smith, entered in and he said, "Uh, Guys, we've struck an iceberg. I may need you to call for assistance, but wait till I give you the order. So they went furiously back to work trying to get these messages out. And he returned not too long later. And he said, Send the call for assistance out. So out with Morse code, they sent out a call. One ship, the Carpathia, was some 58 miles to the southeast and responded. The captain headed toward them, although the uh, fastest speed was 14 knots. This man handed out Captain Arthur Rostron. Captain Rostron was known as a man of spunk and a man of action, but he was also known as a man of prayer. So Captain Rostrum began to pray. God, I don't know what awaits us, but give us the guidance and the courage to be faithful to the task at hand. He would testify later to a friend that if he had been able to see the eyes that they passed through, he would have never believed that they could have done it, but that a divine hand must have been guiding the Caparthia through there. As they came, they picked up they had three and a half hours prepared to pick up uh, uh, just an incredible number of survivors that had been thrust into the freezing waters. And uh, there was a lot of work. And once they had managed to get uh, the survivors they could on the ship and head out, they had a memorial service. Years later, there was mention of a man He was a preacher that was on the ship, a Baptist pastor by the name of John Harper from Scotland who was actually headed to Moody Church in Chicago. Pastor Harper was on board with his sister-in-law and his six-year-old little girl. 
it was interesting because uh, just earlier in the day he had said to his sister-in-law, tomorrow's going to be a beautiful day. He took little Nina into bed that night and uh, all this chaos started. He wrapped Nina in a blanket after he woke her up, his six-year-old daughter. He found his sister-in-law and they headed to above deck. He handed uh, his six-year-old daughter after he kissed her to one of the crewmen. And his sister-in-law and little Nina went in the uh, lifeboat 11. And then he took off his safety gear, gave it to another person, and jumped in the water. Here's where the story gets interesting. There are hundreds of people in that water. 28 degree water, people are literally freezing to death. One of the guys at the Caparthy had pulled out of the water. He testified while he was in the water that this man who was the Reverend John Harper, who had earlier spoke to the ship, to the crew, and the people on the boat swam over to him and said, Look to Jesus and you'll be saved. Jesus is your hope. And he swam over to other people and everywhere he swam, he said, Look to Jesus, He'll be your hope. Look to Christ. And that was the last they ever saw of John Harper. You see... Harper had said goodbye to his daughter, but what he knew was this. He was going to die, whether it was that day or whether it was down the road. But how was he going to die? He wanted to die bringing others with him to life. To the end, sharing the message, being soldiers that are genuine and real. He didn't get that way immediately. He got that way because his life was that way. When it came time to be in the water, he'd already been wanting to show people the love of Jesus. So when he ended up in the water, it was a natural thing to do. And may that be our call. Let's pray. Lord, as we think about this Memorial Day and those who have given their lives for our country, Your Word declares... This is how we know what love is. That a man laid down his life. That he, he gave his life. And that we too are called to give our lives. And uh, Lord, sometimes we think that means a death and a war. Maybe. Maybe it's not about dying, but maybe it's about living. Maybe it's about living for you so that those who are in spiritual death might find life. Maybe that's the real battle. To be in love with you. To walk with you. To live for you. To honor you. To pray to you. To run to you when we mess up. To get started afresh. To be soldiers of the cross living that life that comes only in your power. And however you choose to work, uh, we've all come to you in different ways. Maybe we came immediately when we heard the message of Christ. Maybe like Nicodemus, it took a while. Maybe it was a, a, a journey. And then one day our eyes were open, our hearts were open. Maybe there's somebody here today who 
has been struggling with this. And maybe today's the day where the blinders have come off the eyes and the heart understands and maybe you're ready to receive Jesus to find that life. Uh, we're here. We're here to pay honor and tribute to Christ. And I just pray, Lord, that you would speak. If if, if uh, there's someone here, you can trust Jesus right now. You can just pray, Lord, I need to be forgiven. I need... I need to become a new person. And you have promised that will happen when I look to you. So Lord, I'm looking to you. I'm placing my confidence in you. Forgive me. Make your home in my heart, Lord. Make me new. Amen. Father, uh, anyone here with that, I pray that they would uh, look to you for life. and that Through that honest prayer and confession. They would start in you. Lord, uh, have your way in what we call invitation. In your name we pray. Amen. If you need to come to the altar and pray, pray. Maybe God spoke to your heart and you need to come forward to uh, share with the body of Christ what he's done. This is a time of invitation. Uh, just respond as God calls. Let's stand, let's sing, let's come as he's spoken.